You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jack Shoulder, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and this is part of our Generation X interview series. This is the 25th anniversary of Generation X, and I have been conducting a series of interviews with several of the people who have been influential and worked on the series throughout the years. And uh, this time, I've got a special treat. This one actually doesn't have anything to do with comic books, but as you may recall, in 1996, Fox aired a Generation X TV movie. It was intended to be a pilot for a series that eventually never got greenlit, but the movie came out, and it's not available on DVD. It's kind of become a little cult thing and whatever, and and it's one of the very, very first Marvel movies to ever be made. It's quite something. you got to check it out. You can find it easily on YouTube. Uh, And what I have for you today is an interview with that film's director, Jack Shoulder. And Jack, he has done a lot of different films over the years, uh, including, I think, some of his most notable working is in the horror genre with, like, the second Nightmare on Elm Street installment. And and we have a great time just kind of uh, going through all of the different parts of the Generation X movie and talking about uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I hope you find this really interesting. Even if you're not a film person, I think you'll still enjoy listening to this. But just before we get started, I want to plug my Facebook pages. Of course, if you search Epic Marvel Podcast, you'll find a page and you'll find a group where we talk about uh, the Marvel's Epic Collections all the time. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find me on patreon.com slash thunderquack, uh, part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. And if you like this Generation X interview, I encourage you to listen to the other Generation X interviews. They are all linked on my website. If you go to if you find the post for this interview, you'll see them all there. Um, I've already released interviews with uh, creator Scott Lobdell and the letterer Richard Starkings, writer Jay Ferber, and one of the editors, Jason Liebig. And I've got more coming up in the coming months. Uh, some good surprises. And I think you'll love what, what I have planned coming up as well. So stay tuned for those. And in the meantime, here is Generation X TV movie director, Jack Shoulder. This comic book movie is not your typical uh, style that you usually direct. How did you get associated with this project in the first place? Well, first of all, uh, I actually did uh, another comic book, which is um, Tales from the Crypt. I did an episode uh, that uh, William Gaines, who actually created the, the comic book, said uh, he thought completely captured the quality of, of the comic book. Right. And, and actually, a lot, a lot of the way that I shoot is sort of... A little bit, kind of like comic books. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that I shoot my movies like, like the comic books, but 
I tend to like to use wide lenses and deep focus. And, and, and if you look at comic books, that's kind of how they're, how they're uh, drawn. So, so I had a feeling for that. Also, it, it had a lot of humor in it, and uh, uh, particularly having Matt Frewer in it. Yes. All of my films have always had humor. So, um, you know, it kind of fit in. I mean, I, I, I got a call and said, would you be interested in doing this? And I said, uh, yes. I would. It was it was a good script, and I thought it was a good project. So um, so that's how I got involved. And so, how far along in the process or in the production was it when you came aboard? The script was already written, and it was written by uh, a guy called Eric Blakeney, who also um, was unfortunately one of the producers. And when I say un- unfortunately, you know, usually in a movie, I'm the guy who kind of says what everything, you know, how everything's going to go. But he was extremely protective of, of his script, uh, you know, right. and he had really delved deeply into the comic books. And he really, you know, he knew all the history. He knew everything. Honestly, I didn't know anything about Generation X. You know, I used to read comic books when I was a kid, but uh, I used to go to a barber. And I don't know whether, whether that's that's still true, but 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 the barber, you uh, you know, he had a whole table that was just filled with 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 comic books, but the, you know, they were more like Superman, Batman, you know, old older ones. Right. I think Generation X and the X Men came in later. So he was extremely protective of the story, and I respected that. But we also uh, we sort of differed on on how to shoot it. I don't know. Have you seen it? Oh, I've seen it many times. Yes. Yeah. So so you know, it shot in a very stylized kind of comic book way. Yeah. Um, you know the cameras tilting this way or that way, and there are a lot of really interesting shots. and And he just wanted basically the actors to stand still and say his dialogue, and that's kind of not not how I like to shoot. <laughs> so we often sort of differed on 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 how to do it. Of course, once once the film starts to shoot, you know, short of firing the director, it's pretty hard to tell the director what what to do. So so you know, it kind of turned out the way that I wanted it to. And so, can you tell me a little bit about the the process before shooting, before you actually went to photography? The film was going to be shot in in Vancouver, or actually Brit- British Columbia, because it was it, it was a uh, Fox tel it, it was for Fox Television, and it was a fairly big production for Fox Television. It was a Fox Television movie, so a lot of television movies they have they around that time they'd have a budget of around four or five million dollars and they would usually shoot them in about 20 days this this one i think we had a budget of around seven million dollars and we had something like 24 or 25 days although we were told the the actual producing company was a company called new world films I'm, i'm not sure they're they're still around but 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 new world films had been bought by the revlon company the people that make all the cosmetics Right. And they they wanted to run it like a regular business, which is, you know, the movie business is not a regular business. So they basically said nothing can go over schedule, nothing or well, I mean, they didn't care if it went over schedule, but it couldn't go over budget. And if it, if it went over budget, people would basically lose their jobs. <laughs> so I had a lot of pressure on me to shoot it within the, the confines of the budget that we had right and it was, it was a very complicated film to shoot so i mean there were the issues of getting the right cast because it was a big cast um and then there was the issue of getting the right locations and then also the issue of getting the right uh, cameraman to, to to shoot it so we could have this this look that i wanted to sort of really really push the look and 
I looked at some of the comic books, but I wouldn't say that I tried to copy the comic books, but I tried to just shoot it in a way that I thought was was really dynamic and interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's touch on those three points that you just made. Can you tell me about the cast? How, how involved were you in the casting process? Basically, if you're the director, you, you cast the, the film. I nice. mean, there are certain roles that have to be approved. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll tell you who they want to cast, yeah. you know, uh, some, some well-known, you know, TV actress or something. Uh, you know, fortunately there was, there was none of that. A lot of times there's a lot of pressure to, to get a, a name actor or a name actress in the in the film in order for the, the film to get greenlit. But but in this case, really the star was the title. The star was 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 the comic book. So I just needed to get people who 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 fit the roles. So uh, you know it was it was a pretty diverse group. I mean the, the the key person was really Matt Frewer. Yeah. It was Matt against the uh, one two three four five six. I guess uh, a generation X Men, right? And so you know, Matt Matt was a great choice. I mean, he's he's kind of a comic genius. He's he's a little bit like a like a Jim Carrey. He just had a, like a, a a really wacky kind of brilliant improvisatory style. And 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 in fact, as I mentioned, the the uh, the writer really didn't want anybody to mess with his script. But when Matt would start improvising, he never uh, objected. <laughs> well, that's uh, good. I mean, he he was just uh, really fun fun to work with. He'd just come up with this weird, crazy stuff and and these great ad libs, and he'd crack everybody up. He was he was fantastic. And then the the rest of them, Finola Hughes. Um, I didn't know her before, but uh, she seemed great for the part. And then the uh, the real thing was to find the the six junior X Men. And uh, to get them to sort of be a uh, an ensemble, so you'd have a cast where you know each each one sort of had their own particular style. I think uh, probably um, Jubilation was 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 a real key one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, she was she was great. Heather Heather McComb. Skin was Skin was was kind of a tough one, and we uh, cast a guy who who was really good for the role, but he was kind of inexperienced, and he actually. Uh, caused us some some problems. I mean, at the end of the day, I think he was pretty good. I don't know what what did you think? I felt like his range of emotion wasn't nearly as great as the others. Uh, he, yeah, he was a little stiff. Yeah, he he was definitely um, I think the, the the weakest one in that in that cast. The rest of them were were, were pretty good. Uh, Arlie, you know, she wasn't that that great, but her role didn't have a lot of range, so. It didn't really matter. Uh, Kurt Pastorius, I think he was good. Bumper, um, the guy who played Mondo, he was he was very good. And 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 I thought Jeremy Ratchford, the guy who played Sean Cassidy, was also extremely good. You know, he was another kind of very funny. You know, he was always interesting when the camera was on. Right. So, yeah, he seemed like a fun guy. <laughs> and, and Amaryllis was also good. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you have a young cast like that, sometimes you're going to have someone who's who's got less experience than the others. Mm-hmm. But they seem to work well playing off of each other. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody got along quite quite well. You know, it was a fairly a fairly happy group. Now, was Matt Frewer your idea to bring in? Like, did you have him in mind when you were reading the script? Uh, honestly, I didn't have anybody in mind. Some someone suggested him. And I'm not even sure if I had met him. I mean, he was doing Max Headroom. Yeah. And uh, 
I had watched episodes of Max Headroom, and I thought he was he was really good in that. And I'm not even sure. I mean, it's a long time ago, so yeah, I'm not even sure if he and I. I think we must have met in in the casting because it's not like the first time that I met him was was that was when we did his first scene. But yeah, he he was he was he was a great guy. I mean, he he had a great attitude, and he was uh, just just really fun to work with. Do you have any uh, any stories, fun stories or anecdotes about the cast that you can share with us? There, there was one big scene in the Academy with Skin and um, it was like a two-page dialogue scene and he, and he had a lot of trouble getting through it. He had a lot of trouble. I think he was nervous and then he got more nervous and uh, I think we went, you know, two hours over time and I'm, I'm not even sure that we ended up finishing the scene. So that was, <laughs> uh, uh, that was not great. Uh, there's a scene where um, uh, Arlie takes off her her shirt, and we see her. Uh, uh, she always wears a sweatshirt. Yeah, she's got the huge muscles underneath. Right. So what we did was we we hired. I think she was like Miss Western Canada or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was a, a muscle builder. Yep. And uh, she had a, a a body that was like better than Charles Atlas. You know. Like like yeah. a guy in the in the seventies would have been thrilled to have a body like like hers. Uh, I mean, she was pretty amazing, you know. And I actually said to her, I said, I said, how does a woman get a body like that? Uh, I mean, she she was like a smaller version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Wow. I said, how do you how do you get a body like that? And she said, steroids. You know. <laughs> yep. How else? I guess. But uh, yeah, so that was. Uh, about about all all that I can remember, really. Um, <laughs> it was fairly calm on on that end. The writer and I had a few tussles. I mean, there was there uh, there was one point where I was setting up a shot, and 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 again, he thought the shot was just too extreme. I mean, he actually said that he thought that I was, uh, you know, shooting, uh, you know, one of the most interesting looking movies that he'd ever seen, but he didn't. But he just you know wanted me to like just have the camera straight and lock it down and just have people talk so oh. uh, there was this this uh, this one shot that that i was setting up it was it was an exterior shot it was it was like a wide shot of the front of the uh, academy he didn't like it and so he 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 called me over in his role as as a producer which meant that, that theoretically he was um above me uh, when i was shooting outside i i like to smoke cigars and so he thought that i was blowing the smoke from the cigar in his face. And so he slapped the cigar out of my mouth. <laughs> but then I ended up chasing him through the set. <laughs> so that was that was kind of interesting. Wow. Um, uh, but that was about as uh, about as dramatic as it as it got. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on to uh, locations. I actually live in Vancouver. Oh. And so I'm well familiar with a lot of like I can I noticed the the art gallery which you used for police station and and that kind of stuff. Uh, tell me about the locations you were using and where were your sets? What studio were you using for that? We didn't shoot in a studio. The place and I I actually forget what it was called, but the place where where the film opens up, it's kind of like this giant industrial space. Yeah, it was some some kind of an abandoned industrial warehouse or something. Okay. And so what happened was we, we kind of used that as as the stage. So so some of it we were able to just use it the way it was or to sort of uh, the art department. And they always do do an amazing job. We had a very good art art department. And they just sort of enhanced a lot of the spaces. 
And then we kind of lit them in a kind of a fairly crazy way and shot a lot of the stuff there. The most memorable location was was the Academy. And, and that was out on, on Vancouver Island. Right. So I don't, uh, do you know which... Uh, what that is that that used to be like the naval academy of 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 canada yeah i think it's called hatley castle yeah it it was about uh about a 45 minute drive from um victoria heading heading up up the island uh you know it was an incredible building yeah it had been a hunting estate for some very very wealthy guy and then I guess he had donated it and the, the, the government took it over. But it had a huge lawn. It was, you know, it was a beautiful, beautiful, you know, place to shoot all this wood interior. That, you know, great, great place. It was really, really fun to, to uh, shoot there. Although, um, I, you know, talking about the, 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 uh, the budget and another one of my sort of uh, traumatic memories was um, it was about 45 minutes from the hotel that we were staying at in Victoria. Yep. I'm not sure if we shot anything else in Victoria. I'm kind of inclined to think that we only shot there. So uh, we were there for, for five days. And they they had told me that on the fifth day, I mean, normally when you're shooting, it's a 12-hour day. But they said that on the fifth day, that it was only going to be an eight-hour day, that we had to absolutely positively be finished by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Because... They had to get all of the trucks onto the last ferry, and if they didn't get all the trucks onto the last ferry, then then all the trucks and all the drivers and everything else would have to spend the night in oh, yeah. on Vancouver Island, and they'd all have to be paid like double time for all this stuff. <laughs> oh, and no. It was going to cost them a lot of money. And the night before was the night that we had shot the the unfortunate scenes with Skin, where it, it went really late, and. Um, Got back around midnight, you know, went into the bar and had a drink to just sort of, you know, unwind, uh, un- unwind. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, decompress and set the alarm for seven o'clock in, in the morning. Now, on, on a lot of films, they assign a driver to the director. And part of the reason is to make sure that the director shows up. But I, I drove my own car. I mean, it was a car that they had rented for me, and I sort of wanted to have a car so that on the weekends I could, I could drive around Vancouver and, or or after, after the shoot. So so I so I had my own car anyway. So I, I I set the alarm. I went to sleep, and I'm awoken by this banging on the door, and I sort of rouse myself up, and I was supposed to be at the on the set. Uh, we're supposed to start shooting at like eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, I look at the clock and it's like five to eight. Oh no. <laughs> so, so I got up and it's like five to eight and it's the uh, Canadian uh, production manager. And uh, you know what uh, Canadians are like? I am one. Well, so I know. <laughs> right. All right. Do, do what, do you know how to get 200 screaming drunk Canadians out of a bar at two o'clock in the morning? You ask politely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so uh, so she pounded on the door and I said, "I'll be out in a minute. I'll I'll be out in a minute." And she said, "How could you?" <laughs> uh, I literally, you know, it was like someone had shoved a firecracker up my ass. You know, I just <laughs> yeah. jumped up. I took everything I had. I threw it in a suitcase and I and I I got on the phone and I called the set and I said, "You guys know know what the first shot is. So just set it up. And when I get there, I, you know, I won't change a thing." 
And if you're ready to shoot before I get there, just start shooting. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, fortunately, I, I'm the kind of guy who's sort of very, very well prepared. So everybody had a list of what all the shots were going to be. So everybody knew what the first shot was going to be. And and it actually worked out. We actually got out on, on, on time. But it, Amazing. It, it, it was a nerve-wracking moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's so good. Tell me about a little bit about the special effects because uh, a lot of all of these characters have powers, and so uh, what right. is the the movie magic kind of behind some of the the way you tackled these powers? It was a combination of practical special effects, and uh, I guess at that point they actually had uh, CGI. I mean, they actually had digital effects at that point. Some of my earlier movies they hadn't developed digital effects yet, but so uh, for instance, when uh, Jubilee is, is is playing the the pinball machine and sparks start to come out. I mean that was that that was all done uh, digitally, but uh, but there were also there were there were a lot of practical effects. So it was it was pretty much of a combination. You know, all that stuff just has to be really planned out meticulously. You know, you have to create storyboards so everybody knows you know how it's supposed to look. So you know, you know how to shoot it so that it's shot in a way so they can do the uh, the effects the the correct way. You also had the the dream world, uh, that was pretty much all special effects as well. A lot of the the backgrounds and such there. Yeah, some of it was special effects. Some of it was was lighting effects. I actually remember when we shot it, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, and I wanted to shoot it two different ways, so that if one way didn't work, the other way would would work. And the guy who was the line producer who is sort of like the person who's who's like in charge of the nuts and bolts of actually getting the film made, right. told me that I absolutely could not shoot it two ways, that there was no no time. So, you know, I had to make a choice and, and uh, you know, shoot, shoot it the way that I thought would work out best. I, I wasn't really happy with having to do it that way, but, you know, so it goes. What were the two ways that you were going to that you wanted to try? Uh, you know, I don't I don't even remember. Okay. I, I mean, I've done 15 films. Uh, feature length films. Yeah. And when I think back, there are certain films where I had like these really big fights in the editing about, you know, to keep a scene in or to keep a scene out or to change a line or to do this or do that, you know, that, that, that was like a huge deal. And I was really passionate about, I can't remember what, what any of them were, you know, when I watch the film, I don't say, Oh man, I can't believe that. Yeah. So I'm very happy with, with how it turned out. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's that one scene with, with Matt Frewer where he's sort of like very big. Yes. And I think that was actually a photographic effect. But uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of really cool imagery in there. Yeah, yeah. And probably it helped to have a larger than normal budget for all yes. of the special effects and that kind of stuff too. Well, yeah, because, um, you know, it not only costs money to get the effects done, but a, uh, a lot of times it takes a lot more time to uh, set them up. Especially, you know, in the early days, everything had to be set up in a very special way because if the camera moved the wrong way or if it moved at all or if it would create problems. Oh. I mean, nowadays, uh, you know, CGI has, has, has gotten so advanced that it really doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, you can do pretty much anything you want and there's software that'll track and follow it. But yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely time consuming. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to make sure that you found the right cinematographer yeah uh tell me about the guy that you chose uh his name was brian england and actually he had shot another film for me uh, and i thought he was really talented and they checked up on him and there was there was one producer who would work with him that said i would work with him again 
over my dead body. Oh, He's no. like the worst person I've ever worked with in my life. You know, whatever you do, don't hire this guy. So I, I had to fight really, really hard to to um, to get him on the film. You know, and he felt a lot of pressure to really sort of uh, uh, produce really um, outstanding images also, also within, um, you know, a limited amount of time. I mean, this is the kind of film that you could easily spend twice the amount of time that, that we did. And, you know, I'm not sure how much better it would have looked. You know, we had to move pr pretty fast, but uh, he managed to please everybody. So it worked out. Uh, but the look of the film is really... It's really basically two people. One is one is the director of photography, whose main job is really to light, and then the the other person is really the uh, production designer, you know, who puts everything there. Okay. Like I said, um, the Academy, we really didn't have to do a whole lot because it was such an incredible looking place, but the stuff that we shot in in the big industrial space, you know, all that had to be really uh, created. I kind of knew that I wanted to keep it, you know, how I wanted it to look, but I never could have actually done it myself, you know. I could never be a production designer, you know. I don't have that, <laughs> that sense. Do you recall the people, the production designers you were working with? Uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was a Canadian, and his name was Doug Higgins, Douglas Higgins. Okay. I, I had actually shot a pilot for The Omen, for NBC in Vancouver and I had used him for that and, and I thought he was he was really good he was an older guy and he was very um, capable I don't know uh, I, usually production designers are they're, they're kind of half like an architect half half like an engineer okay and then there there's this also creative side but I mean they, they have to do incredible things in, in an incredibly short amount of time and if they're easily freaked out, they don't last, you know? So the people who actually do it, you know, are people who, you know, uh, we have to build an entire house and, you know, we have to shoot it in two days and well, okay, we'll get it done, you know? And somehow they, they managed to do it. Wow. So he, he did a wonderful job. And how do you work with uh, the production designer? Like what is your relationship there? Well, we talk about it. We, we talk about the locations. I mean, part, part of his job is also finding the locations like, I mean, uh, for instance, uh, uh, there's a scene where there's like a boardroom. Right. Uh, uh, do you know the scene that I'm, that I'm talking about? Yeah, Matt Frewer is giving a presentation on whatever right. invention he's made. Right, yeah. And, and he had found this, this sort of modern building and said, why don't we just put it here on this, on this second floor? Uh, it was kind of like a balcony or something. So the background is like this, this, this whole building, you know, and oh, it, was, okay. it was like a very bold idea, but it was, you know, it was great. You know, he would come up with options, and I would basically I get to choose. You know, a lot of a lot of what you do as a director is you get to choose. You know, you have a lot of talented people, and they they come up with really good stuff, and then you get to choose, and then you take all the credit. <laughs> nice. Uh, at the very end of the movie, we get a, a reveal of Arlie in in a superhero costume. I know that this costume was designed by. Maya Manny, who has been designing really? superhero costumes for years now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she's still doing all of the costumes for the new, like, Green Arrow and Supergirl, all oh, those really? TV shows now still. Do you recall working with uh, her on that outfit way back then? I, I don't specifically recall working on that outfit, but I, I do remember that she was very, very good. I mean, the costume designer and the production designer are very similar 
I couldn't possibly design a costume. And and I don't even mean uh, to actually make it, you know, in terms of the tailoring, but even just just how to come up with a a drawing or 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 a vision for what a costume might might be. Right. So you know what 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 happens is is they'll usually. I mean, first of all, you hire somebody because you look at their work and you say, "Oh, I really love 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 what you do, and I'm I, I really enjoy talking to you, and 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 uh, you know I like I like your ideas, and we have a good." good rapport and then usually i mean you have meetings with everybody so i sort of describe it as sort of getting everybody's clock ticking in the same beat as my clock you know so everybody's kind of seeing the movie the way that i see it and then and then they they add their their special stuff so there would be a meeting where they would come in and they'd have a lot of stuff that they brought in from books from magazines you know all sorts of different images that sort of, you know, here's here's what I'm thinking about. You know, here's, you know, maybe this is the costume, but this is sort of the direction that I that I think would be interested to go in. Or, you know, let's let's avoid the color blue, you know, let's or let's only have this one character wear blue and everybody else doesn't, you know, doesn't okay. wear blue, stuff like that. And they also have to work with with the production designer because if they decide that the character is going to wear blue. And then it turns out the room is completely blue. <laughs> you know, it might not work out. So they really have to sort of work work uh, together to make sure that that the costumes, you know, stand out and work well with with whatever's going on in the sets. But yeah, she she did wonderful costumes. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the uh, you know Matt's co- costumes were um, hilarious. You know, some of those where he kind of looks like a Chinese uh, emperor or something. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, you know Emma, Emma Frost costumes were, right. were 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 pretty cool too. So yeah, yeah, she had a great a great sensibility for the film, and uh, that's that's interesting to know that that she'd gone on and done a lot more of them. A lot of the look of the film uh, uses really bright, uh, like different colored lights, uh, and I see a lot of influence from some of the other comic book movies of that time, like Batman Forever and Dick Tracy and such. Uh, uh-huh. Did you did you pull some of the that inspiration from those earlier movies? Um, no, I kind of had an idea of how I wanted it to look, and we wanted to keep everything kind of popping. I mean, it's you know, it's it's possible that that Brian England got some ins- inspiration from that. Oh, okay, but but actually, Brian had studied at the American Film Institute, uh, you know, which is sort of the number one place to study film, and 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 he had sort of. His mentors were the old Hollywood glamour cameramen. Oh yeah, he was brilliant at doing like glamour lighting for women. I mean, he really knew how to light and make people look look really good. So, so he was sort of pushing his uh, his, his style. I mean, whatever we did, um, I would always then like try to push it another another fifty percent. So a lot of the a lot of the shots, the camera was tilted and what's called a Dutch angle, and just to always try to sort of push the the look of the film as much as much as we could. How much time is spent after the shooting is finished? You said you shot shot for about twenty three or twenty four days. Um, yeah. Uh, how much time did you have to spend after that in editing and such? Well, the way the way that a film is shot, I don't know wh- whether people realize this. You know, you hear people, oh, it took us, you know nine months to edit the movie well when you're shooting the editor is editing right as along as you shoot so as soon as you you shoot a scene and you've got all the shots for a scene the editor cuts it and they call it a rough cut but it's not the editor's not cutting it roughly the editor is cutting it as well 
as the editor is capable of cutting, but, you know, cuts it according to the script and according to the way that it was shot. And so, um, you know, usually on a, on a Saturday, I would, I would somehow drag myself into the editing room and look at the scenes that were, that, that had been cut uh, together. You know, I, I made a point of never looking at them in any order, you know, that I would just look at the scenes to just sort of, uh, what I call ballpark them just, just to make sure that, that the editor hadn't cut the scene in a way that, you know, when I watched it uh, in the context of, of the whole movie, that I wouldn't jump out of my seat, you know, and say, what the, what the hell is that? So, so really within um, a week or two of finishing the film, the whole film is cut together. Okay. And so then you sit down and you watch it. And, uh, you know, this is pretty much the story of every, every movie is you look at it and it doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes it's like, uh, I have to commit suicide right now. Uh, or, or I've just committed suicide <laughs> by making this movie. Yeah. You know, right. And then the, the two or three or six months that you spend is just getting it all, all to work right. You know, a lot of times important scenes, you end up taking them out or uh, you juggle things around. A character that you thought was was really good when you watch the movie, they're not good. Another character that you didn't think was was that good turns out to be really interesting, and you end up, you know, shading the film more in that direction. That it's kind of like a stream that the the stream wants to go a certain way. It's going to make a left hand turn here and a right hand turn here, you know. And uh, if you if you try to change the course of the river, you know, it's it's not going to be that easy. And so. So in, in the editing process, you kind of have to figure out where the stream wants to go, you know, where the movie wants wants to go. The fact is that I was an editor in New York for about 13 or 14 years before I directed my first feature. You know, I, I always saw myself as a director, but I, I, I made my living as an editor. And I was a very good editor. I actually won an Emmy for editing. Nice. And, and I, had a, I had a real talent for it. Uh, you know, if there's anything that I was really good at, it was it was editing. And and as a director, I kind of direct kind of like an editor that I'm always sort of thinking about how all the pieces are going to fit. And uh, it came together pretty well. And actually what happened uh, with the feature, you usually get, you know, two or three months or maybe even a little bit more before you have to show anybody anything. But with the TV movie, they wanted to see some. Well, they actually wanted to see the editor's initial cut which I fought tooth and nail not to have them see because they were going to see something that wasn't going to work and that I was going to look at it and I was going to say, right, we have to do this, 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 this. And I wanted them to see it after I felt it was working rather than to look at it and say, oh, my God, we've got all these problems that we're going to have to deal with. Of course. So I was able to sort of keep them from, from, from doing that. And at a certain point, because of my adversarial relationship with the writer, who's also one of the producers, they wanted to give him a chance to do his own cut, which to me was like in, inconceivable. And yeah. I managed to somehow fight them on that. And what I said was, look, let's have him come into the editing room and I'll work with him and we'll do whatever he asks us to do. But I, I want to be in the room when he's doing that. And that's actually what, what, uh, what we did. And it actually turned out because I was there, he probably, you know, if there were certain things they wanted to do that were really going to ruin the movie, I was able to sort of talk him out of it. And I think he was also a little intimidated. So he really didn't do all that much, you know, so, so it kind of worked out okay. okay. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> wow. 
you know, it, it, it cut together pretty, pretty well. You know, I don't, I don't remember any, any big problems that I think, you know, at six weeks when I was supposed to deliver the cut, it worked out pretty well. I, I actually remember we were, we were cutting it in this place on uh, Sunset Boulevard and um, it was some kind of a, a, an editing space and there were, uh, you know, other, other films, other TV movies that were, that were being edited there and, and we were shooting film. So the film then had to be digitized we were editing digitally right and um so the the technician who was who was the guy who would digitize the the uh, material i was i was standing there and he said said wow you know your your stuff really looks so so great you know this is such great looking uh, uh dailies and i said i said thanks and i said that you know the typical wisdom of 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 how to shoot tv and this is this is when it was still a, a four by three frame you know the old the mm-hmm. old kind of tv Format. And I said, you know, everybody thinks that that TV has to all be done in, in close-ups, but you know, I'm I'm shooting it like a movie, you know, and and I'm shooting a lot of wide shots, and that's part of the reason why it looks so good. And there was a guy who was editing um, some like, you know, crappy TV movie, and and he he was the producer. You know, it was it was one of those those movies where where the producer's in charge of the editing because the the, the director doesn't really give a shit, you know. <laughs> okay, and, yeah. And he heard me say this. He was so offended. He came out of out of the editing room and said, "I heard what you said. Television is all about close-ups. You, it's all about close-ups, and I don't care what you say." You know, so, <laughs> probably why why it why it looks so good and why why they made a good choice to 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 pick me to direct it rather mm-hmm. than somebody who's done a hundred TV movies. There is one cut that circulates around the internet that has. A lot of stuff that wasn't in the original broadcast, like a lot of like swear words and more mature jokes and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Do you know why um, why those two cuts exist? Well, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure that what happened was that the one with the swear words and everything else was the cut that I did. And there was an idea that this would be distributed in other countries, which, which um, did not which which were a little less puritanical okay. than than uh, we were. I mean, this was this was going on Fox Television before Fox Television was a bad word, you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> right. um, uh, at least at least to some. So you know, it was it was one of the the four major networks. So you couldn't have swear words. So I mean, when when you would shoot, if there was anything that was that was controversial, you'd have to shoot another take where. Uh, you would use different, different, different language. I mean, uh, you know, if you watch like uh, some uh, some of Scorsese's movies with like Robert De Niro, you know, and mm-hmm. or you know, and all these guys, and they're they're saying this freaking guy and that freaking, you know, <laughs> yep. and uh, you know what they're really saying, and totally. they're probably so pissed off to have to say freaking, you know, that uh, they might have even brought in another actor who could sort of do their voice to 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 put the words in. <laughs> Uh, but so the one that went on on TV was really the cleaned up version yep. of the the one that we shot. So the one that that's that's circulating that's probably the one that that I would prefer. Oh, okay, nice. But probably not a whole a whole lot of difference. Like yeah, I mean, no. we we uh, we always used to talk about you know let's uh, let's uh, let's do the airline version. The airline uh, version. Know, back, yeah. back in the days when everybody in the airline watched the movies, so you know, if you had your like five-year-old kid, you couldn't have anything in there <laughs> that would possibly offend a five-year-old. Right. Or, or the five-year-old wouldn't have been offended. No, the, the parents. Parent, yeah. Five-year-old would have been offended. 
know, it's a bunch of bullshit, you know, but. Okay, well, I want to make sure that uh, you have time to tell our listeners about anything, any projects or anything that you have on your plate that you'd love to share with people. I know you had a book come out recently. Well, um, I was at a film festival called the Fanta Festival in Rome, and they gave me a Life Achievement Award. Congratulations. Yeah, which uh, which was about time, I think. <laughs> nice. Uh, I had been waiting for that for for quite a while. No, uh, uh, it, it was actually it was actually very very nice, and uh, and they also did a like a hundred and twenty five page book uh, with articles from from different uh, 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 different writers, uh, you know, in, in Germany, America, Italy, different 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 places, you know, some of which were kind of scholarly, which I found kind of interesting, and others, nice. you know more uh, more from a fan point of view but i i i have a movie that uh that's a vampire movie a really really good script that i'm i'm very excited about and i'm i'm hoping that we'll make it there's actually a, a company right now in vancouver who is doing budget for it so i'd love to shoot it in vancouver oh. uh, it would it, it would be perfect and and uh, you know I'm kind of known for doing horror movies. Yeah, I've probably done more movies that are not horror movies, but but um, you know I've done you know thrillers and genre films. So like you know Generation Eight X kind of kind of fits in there. I originally aspired to be like Francois Truffaut, you know, like like a lot of directors who who you know sort of grew up in the seventies. Um, and uh, the vampire movie is uh, like any good vampire movie. It's about a lot more than than vampires you know right it sort of works in a in a in a metaphorical sense and it's 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 just it's 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 a really really good good script about a couple of young well a young a young female vampire who finds out she's a vampire about a third of the way through the movie and then another girl that she sort of falls in love with and okay she becomes a vampire but it's 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 really interesting script and then i'm involved in another project that takes place in Calcutta, and in fact, I was in Calcutta about three weeks ago, and that was a pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, and it's a something totally different. It's it's a biopic about a woman, from English parents who, for a set of uh, unfortunate circumstances, became destitute and became li- lived as the poorest of the poor in in Calcutta, and uh, managed to somehow pull herself out of it and. Uh, went back there and set up foundations and, and a couple of years ago she won the mother Teresa award. So oh, wow. that's, that's a complete, a complete about face from, from all the other stuff that I've done, but I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. That sounds incredible. So that's, that's what I'm up to. Wow. That's great. Well, we look forward to seeing those movies when they come out. Uh, well, so do I. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for sharing your stories uh, with us and telling us about this movie. I don't know. Do you get a lot of people asking about Generation X? Not a lot. I'm I'm not sure how available it is. It's not available um, at all except with bootleg copies online. That's that's right. it. So and that's that, that that's probably why. I mean, there are other other of my movies that. For instance, in in Europe, you just can't get. Uh, I mean, some of them are out of out of print, and you know, I have a bunch of a bunch of DVDs. But you know, if you want to buy them, they're like you know over a hundred dollars to get yeah, one. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it kind of lim- limits the audience. I mean, um, you know, I've I've done fifteen feature length films, and there's about six of them that I'm really proud of. You know, there's, there's one of them that I absolutely tell people not to watch and, and you know, the others are somewhere in the middle, <laughs> okay. but, 
but I would definitely, you know, put put Generation X up there with, you know, some of my best work. You know, it's one of the films that I've done that I that I really like. And and honestly, I haven't seen it probably since I made it. I don't oh. think I've seen it in I don't know what was it made about about twenty years ago. Yeah, it was ninety six is when it was released. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I I probably haven't seen it since since ninety six. So wow. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, again, we thank you for joining us today for this show. Uh, It's been a pleasure. 